Today on the Matt Walsh Show, as Disney adds an offensive content disclaimer to the Muppets, we'll discuss how leftism has become the, the modern Puritanism. Also, five headlines, including Fauci's declaration that we may have to wear masks into the year 2022. And Kendall Jenner faces claims of cultural appropriation for her new tequila brand. And in our daily cancellation, we'll talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's trip down to Texas to, quote, help during the winter storm. All of that and much more today on the Matt Walsh Show. You know, there are a few things that I value more as a parent than the value of uh, a good night's sleep. And there are also a few things that I, that, I, that I get less of an opportunity to have than, than a good night's sleep as a parent. But that means that just means that you got you to take advantage of the time that you have. Even if it's only, you know, four hours in bed because they're going to have kids crying at four o'clock in the morning for God knows what reason. you got to take advantage of those four hours, sleep as much as you can. Uh, and that's what MyPillow is all about. That's why I use MyPillow's. Uh, my pillow products they don't go flat they maintain their shape uh, you don't have to worry you know you get regular pillows and they go flimsy and flat and it's just it's no good you can wash and dry them as many times as you want and they maintain their shape and best of all they're made right here in the USA so when you support my pillow you're supporting American workers if you don't have a my pillow or you know someone who doesn't have one now is the time to get one because for a limited time my pillow is offering their premium my pillows for their lowest price ever. You can get a queen size premium my pillow, which is normally sixty nine ninety eight. You can get it now for twenty nine ninety eight. That's forty dollars in savings. Kings are only five dollars more. So if you want to try the my pillow, now's the time to do it. Um, this, don't don't wait around till the deal goes away. You got to pay a lot more money. Now's the time to buy. Not only are you getting the lowest price ever, but they are the best gifts ever too. Got to get a, a gift giving occasion coming up, a birthday or anything then uh, MyPillow is the way to go. $29.98 for a queen-size premium MyPillow. Buy now, and they will extend the 60-day money-back guarantee to March 1st, 2021. Go to MyPillow and uh, click on the Radio Listener Square. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. All these products are awesome. So you got to check it out. And to do that, call 800-651-1148 and use promo code DAILYWIRE. If you're keeping a list of every new thing that suddenly becomes offensive, well, you're probably pretty busy. That's a project which doesn't allow much time for anything else in your life. A running tally of offensive things would be like, kind of like the U.S. debt clock. If you go to usdebtclock.org and it goes up by about 100,000 every second or something like that, the offensive thing list may not grow quite that rapidly, but it's it's getting there. Here's the latest. The Muppets. The Muppets are now problematic. It, it was revealed recently that Disney Plus, which just added the Muppets to its streaming lineup, has a disclaimer attached to the beginning of each episode. The, the Disney disclaimer, of course, is not a new concept. They've been doing this ever since they launched their streaming service a few years ago. Already movies like The Aristocats, Dumbo, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, The Jungle Book, the Mickey Mouse Club from the 50s, even Aladdin have disclaimers because of their supposedly offensive content. I can only assume that other films must have them too, like Mulan for its stereotypical depiction of Chinese culture, Pocahontas for the many inaccuracies in the way that it portrays Elizabeth Warren's childhood. Lion King ought to get the disclaimer treatment too uh, for stereotyping the hyena community. The film depicts hyenas as maniacal buffoons laughing about everything. But of course, actual hyenas don't laugh. The laughing sound is a form of a bark, which they use to signal to the other members of their pack if they've made a kill or if there's a, a danger in the area. 
Lion King both trivializes and otherizes hyenas, not to mention warthogs, toucans. Indeed, when you're, when you're looking for a reason to be offended by old cartoons or even recent cartoons, it's not hard to find them if you're creative enough in your outrage. And it would take some especially creative outrage in the case of the Muppets. But our culture is no doubt up to the challenge. Here's the warning that comes with, uh, with each episode of, of that show now. Here's what it says. It says, this program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people, of, of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. Mistreatment of people. Well, they're puppets, so I don't know who's really being mistreated, but um, this, I believe, is the disclaimer they use across the board now. Notice how Disney excuses its decision to continue to profit off of content that it now says is harmful. The company claims that it, it, it has this dangerous and offensive material on its platform, not so that it can rake in millions of dollars, but so that it can spark conversation and create a more inclusive future together. I guess sparking conversation and creating an inclusive future is also why they continue to sell merchandise from these shows and films. Yes, that's why you can go to Target in 2021 and buy a, a Jasmine doll. Even though Jasmine is from a film with offensive stereotypes, and she was voiced in the original cartoon by a white actress culturally appropriating a role that should have gone to an actual Arabic princess with a pet tiger and a boyfriend who rides a magical carpet around the city with his wacky genie sidekick. It's all for sparking a conversation, you see. And surely the eight-year-old girl who's given that doll upon, uh, that doll upon receiving it will um, we'll say to her parents, she'll say, well, thank you for this gift, mother and father. It presents me with an excellent opportunity to reflect on the impact of negative stereotypical portrayals of disadvantaged minority communities. I'm sure that's how it goes. Or maybe not. See, this is why I have to stop myself short when I'm tempted to accuse the contemporary left of being the new Puritans. In a certain way, it's true. You know, they are. Leftism is a strange, inverted form of Puritanism, at least Puritanism in the modern colloquial sense of the term. Leftists are the ones now who seem to be perpetually offended, fragile, needing advisories and disclaimers and other layers of insulation from content that might traumatize them. But I, call, I call it a weird and inverted Puritanism because the left is, has also maintained and plunged deeper into its hedonistic impulses at the same time. So they're this, they're this very strange mix of Puritan Puritan and, and hedonist. They still demand that we accept, tolerate, celebrate all forms of sexual indulgence and expression, however strange, however unnecessary pub, unnecessarily public it may be. But then they turn around and wither like delicate flowers in the hot sun the moment they hear a slightly edgy joke or an opinion that divulges a little bit uh, or rather you know, verges a little bit from their own. Or they encounter even a cartoon film made for children Children who apparently were better adjusted and more emotionally stable than themselves. You might say, to simplify, that they're offended by all of the things that are not offensive and not offended by all of the things that actually are. While they wouldn't want children to be exposed to the horror of a Peter Pan cartoon, they see no problem with kids listening to sexually explicit and absurdly degrading songs from Cardi B and the like. It's backwards. And that's why calling them Puritans seems to sort of fit. But on another level, it doesn't fit at all. 
What we can say about the actual Puritans of the 16th and 17th centuries, a group that may be admittedly a little hard to define, is that they were, yes, rigid and close-minded like the modern left. And there's where the comparison lies. But they were also earnest and sincere. They made enormous sacrifices to live by the convictions that they really deeply believed in and felt. The Puritanism of the modern left lacks that sincerity, that conviction, that sacrifice. It's empty at its heart, mostly a put-on, a display, a political performance, a marketing ploy. The modern Puritanism of the left is, in fact, perfectly encapsulated by a company like Disney declaring its own harmless cartoons harmful and then proceeding to make millions of dollars off of them. See, the thing is, I can respect almost any worldview, to some extent at least, if the people who harbor that view are willing to live by it. And so, in a certain way, the crazier the worldview, the more I am forced to respect the conviction of those who abide by it. Vegans are completely insane, as far as I am concerned. But if you actually live the vegan life and forego the immeasurable joy of meat and dairy products, then I can respect your follow-through. But when it comes to the woke brigade and the doctrines that lead it to declare something like the Muppets harmful and offensive, there's no follow-through. There's no sacrifice. There's no conviction. There's no substance. It's Puritanism, but only the most hollow and most absurd kind. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, one of the most underrated aspects of uh, parenting, I think, is that you get to relive things in your childhood. Some of the some of the childhood fun that you would uh, never, you probably wouldn't be able to have. You wouldn't have the opportunity to engage in if you didn't have kids. So, for example, over the weekend, we took our kids to a, a trampoline park here in Nashville, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I was probably having more fun than the kids, bouncing all over on the trampolines. It's just, a lot, it's, it's just great. The thing is, if you're an adult, it's the kind of thing that you should be able to go and do as an adult. But I think if you're an adult and you don't have kids, you're probably not going to get together with your, like, 30-year-old buddies and go down to the trampoline park. So you have to have kids for that. And um, so that's what we did. And it was a lot of fun. But then the other problem is that you're an adult. So... I woke up the next morning feeling like I had been trampled by a herd of goats or something. Just, I could barely move from jumping on a trampoline for 30 minutes. And maybe that's why adults stay away from those kinds of things usually. Uh, Okay, number one, the media has long since branded Ron DeSantis a failure, of course, in his response to the pandemic. The only problem has been in, in finding a reason for that branding. So they've decided that he's a failure, but there's never been a reason to call him a failure because all the evidence, all the facts on the ground point to DeSantis having the best response or among the best out of all the governors in the state, in the, in the country. But the media can't allow that narrative to take hold. So they've been digging, you know, getting creative as, uh, as, as, as they need to, to find some reason to criticize him. So they've got, they know what their conclusion is. The conclusion is that he's been a failure and is in a disaster. Now they just need to find reasons for that conclusion. Speaking of things working backwards, that's the way that they go. Uh, Kind of like the opposite of the scientific method. It's the scientific method flipped on its head. NBC News, though, thinks that it's finally found the reason. So here's the report from NBC News. They say, 
Florida's governor was slow to respond to the pandemic, and his COVID-19 vaccine distribution plan has been marked by chaos. But critics say he's been quick to recognize the political gold in those precious doses. Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, ignored federal guidelines and prioritized getting senior citizens, one of Florida's most potent voting blocs, vaccinated first. When Holocaust survivors and Cuban survivors of the Bay of, Pig deba- Bay of, Bay of Pigs debacle, revered members of the two other key Florida vo- voting blocs, got their first shots, DeSantis made sure he was there for the news conference. And now the governor stands accused of using the COVID-19 vaccine to reward political, uh, powerful political supporters and developers by setting up pop-up vac- vaccination sites in planned communities they developed and where GOP vo- voters predominate. Okay, so you see what they're saying here. He has prioritized seniors, the elderly, in his vaccine rollout. That's what they're hitting him for. And, and it's bad. It's bad to prioritize seniors because a lot of old people are Republican. That is actually what the media is saying now. That we shouldn't prioritize the elderly uh, because too many of them are Republican. When, of course, in reality, we know that obviously the elderly are the most susceptible to the virus by and large, uh, speaking in, in generalities. And so obviously they should be prioritized. So here we're taking this again is, is Ron DeSantis showing the right way to do it. A lot of other states have been disasters. In, in Florida, they're doing it the right way. And this is another case where Ron DeSantis' success is being portrayed. It's not just that they're ignoring his success. They're actually flipping it around and saying, no, this is a failure. Meanwhile, more COVID news. Fauci, um, Dr. Fauci is warning that we may have to keep wearing masks all the way to the year 2022 and beyond. Here he is on CNN talking about it. Listen. You and the president have suggested that we'll approach normality toward the end of the year. What does normal mean? Do you think Americans will still be wearing masks, for example, in 2022? You know, I think it is possible that that's the case. And again, it really depends on what you mean by normality. If right. Normality that's what I want you to define exactly it. Exactly <laughs> the way it No, Dana, it's important because if normality means exactly the way things were before we had this happen to us, I I mean, I can't predict that. I mean, obviously, I think we're going to have a significant degree of normality beyond what the, the terrible burden that all of us have been through over the last year, that as we get into the fall and the winter by the end of the year, I agree with the president completely that we will be approaching a degree of normality. It may or may not be precisely the way it was in November of 2019, but it'll be much, much better than what we're doing right now. Uh, A few things here. First of all, this is what we're hearing now. Well, it depends on how you define normal. What do you mean by normal? What what, What do we... No, you know what we mean by normal. This kind of bad faith thing where, well, it depends on who, who knows what normal means. No, everyone understands. Normal is like what it was before, just living a normal human life. And you could walk outside your house and you could go to the store, go to a restaurant. You're not covered in a, in a, in a, in a, in a muzzle. You're not muzzling yourself. Um, businesses can open up their doors and serve as many people as they can fit inside their building safely. You know, that kind of thing. That's what normal means. 
And but but Fauci is saying, well, we'll see. And that's been his answer all along. We'll we'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe not. And this has been the other thing that um, we're hearing now. In fact, I think it was an NBC News article. I don't have it. I don't have it in front of me right now. But um, this is yeah, NBC New York. They have an article up right now. And uh, what they, they, they say, this, this is the, the tweet they sent out. It says, you're fully vaccinated against the coronavirus. Now what? Don't expect to shed your mask and get back to normal activities right away. That's going to be a disappointment, if not a shock, to many people. So this is the message that we're hearing now. We've started to hear more and more. We hear it from the media. We're hearing it from the so-called health experts, where they're saying, even after you get both vaccine doses, you might still have to wear the mask. No, not, not might. You do still have to wear it. Socially distance. All, nothing changes. Not only is this absurd and wrong, but I cannot, if you're trying to discourage people from getting vaccinated, I cannot imagine a better message. For, for anti-vaxxers, this is like, uh, this is a dream come true. If you're an anti-vaxxer, it's a dream come true that the pro-vax people, this is their message. It's, yeah, get the vaccine but nothing will change in your life for the better. Your life will not improve at all, but please go and inject this substance into your body anyway. It's not going to do anything for you, at least as far as you can tell in the way you live your life, but uh, do it anyway. That is the worst message you could possibly send. If you actually want people to get vaccinated, if you want mass vaccination, if you want millions and millions of people lining up to get vaccinated, and you want to have most of the country vaccinated in the next few months, the message should be get the vaccine and you can go back to your daily life. Now, that's what I'm saying. If, 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 if that's your goal, that should be your message. Um, I personally believe we should be able to get back to our daily life regardless of the vaccine. I've been saying that for months. But from the perspective of a pro-vaccine person, that should absolutely be the message. They're undercutting themselves with this. Or we would say they're undercutting their own, you know, goals and intentions if we actually believe that their ultimate goal is to get us back to normal. At a certain point, we have to grapple with the fact that um, a lot of these people, that's why they're trying to redefine normal or they're getting hazy about what normal even means because they never want to go back to that normal. Is that the case for Fauci? I mean, with Fauci, it's like we're at the point now where either this guy is malevolent um, or he is simply one of the most incompetent government officials ever in history. Those are the two options. Well, an option that is not available anymore is the one where we say he's been a smashing success. There is no evidence. That, where's the evidence? Can anyone come up with one reason? One, what's one thing we can point to? If you believe that Fauci's been a success, like what is your what, what point to one thing? Give me one reason, one piece of evidence for Fauci's great success. No matter how you slice it, he's presided over a disaster. He can't keep his own excuses, his own story straight. Where's the success? But he is the perfect example. He is, in a lot of ways, the perfect government employee. Because even though he has presided over this disaster and he's and he contradicts himself every two seconds, um, and by any measure you look at, he's been a failure. He not only remains employed, but he is, what is he? I think he's the, the highest paid government employee. He doesn't just remain employed, but he's the highest paid guy. 
despite being arguably the greatest failure. That's what working in the government gets you. Now, on the other side of it, um, so that's the, the negative pessimistic side. On the optimistic side, here's Dr. Gottlieb, who was speaking to CBS over the weekend, and he actually had uh, uh, an optimistic take. Here he is. Listen. The numbers, frankly, look good in terms of the infection rate going down, but we are about to cross this morbid uh, milestone of half a million Americans dead. Where are we in this, um, and should we be optimistic given the infection decline? Look, this has taken a tragic toll on the United States, but we should be optimistic, in my view. I think we're going to continue to see infection rates decline into the spring and the summer. Um, right now, they're falling quite dramatically. I think these trends are likely to continue. The new variants do create new risk. I think B117 creates some risk that we could see a resurgence of infection in certain parts of the country and higher prevalence overall in the spring and the summer than we might have seen without this strain. But it's not going to be enough to reverse these trends at this point. I think it's too little too late in most parts of the country um, with rising vaccination rates and also the fact that we've infected about a third of the public, that's enough protective immunity that we're likely to see these trends continue. The risk is really to the fall. And one last point, if you look at the counties in New York and New Jersey that had greater than 45 percent seroprevalence, meaning that 40, more than 45 percent of the population was infected going into the winter, they really didn't have much of a winter surge. So once you get to about 40 percent of the population with some form of protective immunity, you don't have herd immunity, meaning that this mm -hmm. won't transfer at all. It will continue to transfer, but it will transfer to much slower rate. I mean, the, the reality is that, uh, as you just heard there, infection rates are plummeting. That's what's happening. Um, and it's, you, you hear that if you go, if you, if you go and seek this information, you want to know what's happening with the infection rates in the country. You can, you can find it when you Google it, but it's not headline news everywhere the way the bad news is uh, or was, but it should be. This is great news. Infection rates are plummeting. And they're plummeting even though we're still in the winter. I mean, we were promised back in the fall, if you remember, we were promised uh, a long, we were, we were promised the, the, a long, horrible winter and, and the, the, the infection rates would, would continue to, to rise. And um, Instead, we're still in the winter. Infection rates are going down markedly, dramatically. And we haven't even gotten to the spring yet. And we're going to get into the spring with the warmer weather. And we're going to get that seasonal effect. On top of the fact, more people are getting vaccinated. And also, just millions of people have already had the virus. And millions of those, the majority of those may not even know they had it, but they did. So there's, there's no reason why we cannot. Even from, you know, even if you're not an anti, you know, if you're an anti-lockdown person like I am, then you've wanted us to get back to normal life all along, basically. But even if you're not in that camp, even from a pro-lockdown stance, you should still be saying there's no reason why we can't begin to really get back to normal now. We're getting out on the other side of this thing. That's great news. It's wonderful news. We can celebrate it. We can all celebrate it together in person. But you're not going to hear that from the media uh, that often anyway. All right. Next, Cam Newton, former Patriots quarterback, also former Panthers quarterback, was hosting a, a football camp for kids. So he invited kids out. He's hosting a camp. And this is a video that went viral yesterday of a back and forth he got into with one of the kids there who was heckling Cam Newton. And a lot of people were upset at Cam Newton for his response here. But I don't know. Let's let's listen. You asked. You're a free agent. You're a free agent. 
Okay, so the kid is is cussing at Cam Newton, taunting him for being a free agent. I don't know. I mean, being a free agent in the NFL sounds like a pretty good deal. He's going to make millions of dollars somewhere. Um, and, uh, and saying that he's about to be poor, and then Cam Newton's response is that he's rich. Kind of a dumb response, and then he keeps asking him, where's your dad? People are upset at Cam Newton for that. Now, I'm no Cam Newton defender. I don't really have a, a general stance on Cam Newton. I don't care that much. But I don't know how you could watch a video like that. It shows where, where people's priorities are. I don't know how you could watch a video like that and you side with the kid. And in, in, in a situation like this, I'm almost always going to take the adult side. What, what happened to respecting your elders? This, forget about the fact that he's an NFL quarterback. Who cares about that? He's an adult. He also invited you out to this camp that he's hosting for you to give you opportunities. And you're cussing him out and taunting him? This is how you speak to adults? And if you look at, at, the, at the reaction on social media, a lot of people are saying, how dare you speak to that poor child that way? Now, the kid's lucky that all he did was speak to him. It's lucky he didn't get a, you know, he didn't get a, a firmer response than that. This is a kid who has probably not gotten a lot of firm responses from adults in his life, and that's how this, this happens. All right, number four, this is from the Daily Wire. It says, model Kendall Jenner has been accused of cultural appropriation after launching a tequila brand that she claims to have been working on for nearly four years. In an Instagram post, Jenner announced the launch of her tequila brand, which is 818 Tequila, which is presumably named after the uh, California area code where, I guess, I don't know, she lives. Jenner Jenner said her tequila brand had already won eight awards, including best, um, uh, eight awards, including at the some awards at the World Tequila Awards. And, uh, but the reaction on social media, again, was largely negative. Following her announcement, social media condemned Jenner for allegedly culturally appropriating Mexican culture. One user accused Jenner of profiting off of Mexican traditions. Uh, They said, something about Kendall Jenner making tequila rubs me the wrong way. Like the idea of white celebrities taking from local Mexican artisans and profiting off of our traditions and agriculture business, yet only visit Cabos and Puerto, uh, Puerto Vallarta for vacation spots. And not to mention profit off of the brown hands that actually plant, grow, harvest, ferment, and distill the agave plants that are used to make it. Uh, And other things like that. So she's culturally appropriating from Mexican culture by making it tequila. No, I, I, I really love this story. And I love it only because it reveals, again, how absurd the cultural appropriation claim and concept is. Because... In reality, now I'm, I'm no tequila historian, and something tells me that the people saying cultural appropriation also are not tequila historians. But um, I am aware, and I think a, a very quick Google search will confirm this, that tequila is not historically a purely Mexican uh, innovation. In fact, I believe it was Spanish conquistadors, and maybe someone who knows a little bit more about this can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was Spanish conquistadors who took a version of, a, um, of an alcoholic beverage that was common among the natives, and they distilled it, and they, they made what later become, became known as tequila. And some of the early 
popularizers of tequila were Spanish aristocrats. I almost said aristocrats because I had Disney in my brain. But some of the early popularizers of tequila were Spanish aristocrats in, in Mexico. So this is not, that's tequila. It's actually, I guess, who, who is she appropriating from? Spain? No, tequila itself is a product of cultural blending. And that's one of the reasons why the cultural appropriation claim doesn't work as a concept. It's absurd. Because it's very difficult to look at any form of uh, cuisine, any you know, style of dance, any, uh, any form of, of dress, anything, any tradition. It's very difficult to look at that and, and trace it back and find that it's never been influenced. It's never had any outside influences. Almost everything that we have today in the modern, in the modern world, whether it's a food, it's an alcohol, whatever it is, um, it is a product of blending of cultural cultures influencing each other. And that's because cultures can't own. You know, Mexican culture doesn't own tequila. Even if native Mexicans were the ones who, who, who innovated it from the beginning, which they weren't. You don't own an alcohol as a culture. Cultures don't own things. That's not how culture works. And again, you know, appropriating implies that something is being taken from you. That's what it means for something to be appropriated from you. If somebody appropriates $10 from your wallet, they've taken it from you, and now you don't have that $10 anymore. You're out 10 bucks. Well, Kendall Jenner making a tequila, she's not depriving tequila from anyone. She's not taking it away from Mexican culture. There is no Mexican person who can no longer have tequila or produce it or sell it because she's making it. That's just not how it works. All right, five, finally, this is a tweet from Madonna. She says, the patriarchy continues to to try to crush my neck with their heavy boots, cut off my life force and take away my voice. Even those who call themselves artists, you know who you are. Death to the patriarchy now and forever. Hashtag risk what you value. Hashtag value what you risk. Yes, the patriarchy is crushing her neck with their heavy boots. Well, I I only want to note that Madonna is worth, I think, $800 million, $850 million. And she's approaching a billion dollars that she's worth. And all I can say is, if that's what it means for the patriarchy to crush your neck, then please, I'll I'll lay down the patriarchy to crush my neck if it means $850 million. I'll I'll take that for $850 million. Not a bad deal. That's the thing about oppression in, uh, in modern American culture. It's a very profitable business. All right, let's go uh, read some of the YouTube comments from the show on Friday. This first is from, the username is insert name here, too lazy to come up with his own name, I guess. Says, the dumbest thing Ted Cruz did was engage the media and apologize. He's already got a target on his back and he basically just chummed the water. Uh, Yeah, I agree with you. I think that was the the mistake he made. There's another mistake that he made, which we'll get to in the daily cancellation. But uh, yes, apologizing was, was certainly a mistake. Because he didn't do anything wrong. You know, he, 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 I think his, his initial statement with the, with, when that ridiculous controversy first erupted was clumsy and not the right way to go about it. Um, but 
you know, him pointing out that he was trying to get his family, he, he didn't have power either, and it was freezing cold, and so he's trying to get his family to warmer temperatures. What? Nothing wrong with that. That's what any good father would do. Now, for, for political reasons, which we'll talk about in a second, but for political reasons, maybe the smart move is to bring your family or, or to you know, bring them to the airport, put them on a plane, and then you stay back, even if there's nothing really for you to do staying back. But getting your, your family out of that situation, if you can, is a smart move. And I think it's what any, any father with the means would do. This is from Cool Papa J Magic. There's a great name. He says, there isn't even a point in talking about their hypocrisy anymore, talking about the left's hypocrisy. I have a woke brother, and I know personally that they do not see their own flaws and or lack of logical consistency. Yeah, um, I hear this a lot when I point out the double standards, and I'm told that, well, there's no point in even pointing it out anymore because it doesn't make a difference. They don't care. And that's true by and large. But the problem is, number one, so what, what else are we going to do? Simply accept it? If there's a double standard, are we going to accept it, allow it, not say anything, not point it out? Allow them to pretend unopposed that there is no double standard? Now, I think we have to point it out. And also keep in mind that um, this is the case with people generally, not just on the left. Most people are stubborn and they're not willing to see the flaws in their thinking. It's not a modern person thing. That's, that's simply a person. That's a human nature thing. So when you present arguments and you stand up and say, okay, there's a double standard here. Yeah, most people on the other side who hear you are going to dismiss it because that's how people are. But you got to hope that there are at least a few people who, even if they don't change their mind right then and there, you plant the seed. You get them thinking about it. And if, they're, if they have any capacity for critical thinking down the line, maybe that's, that seed sprouts and, um, and uh, they, they start to realize the truth a little bit. That's why sometimes it can feel so defeating when you're presenting arguments to someone. Because it's very rare, you know, when you're having an argument with anybody, uh, especially a political and ideological argument, it's very rare for someone to say right then and there, oh, you know what, you're right. I'm, I'm going to change my mind. It almost never happens, right? Does that mean that nobody ever changes their mind? But people just change their mind. It just, it's not going to be right then, there, on the spot. It might be that night or a day later, two weeks later, a year later. Who knows? But you could put them on that path and not know it. And that's why it's worth it to present the arguments anyway. Um, Jay Moen says, Matt, to consider 18-year-olds are not responsible for their debt because they don't know what they're doing, yet they're allowed to vote for our representatives is a frightening truth. I totally agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fully on board with the idea, like we talked about last week, that at 18 years old, you got these kids coming out of high school and they're taking out these massive loans and they don't really know what they're doing. Uh, and I, I agree that they don't really know what they're doing, which is why, you know, there should be some reform to the system that allows the banks to, to give these loans in the first place. But if we can all agree on that point, which it seems we can, then yeah, why are we allowing, if, if, if they're not, if, if they don't have the psychological equipment to make these sorts of financial decisions, which obviously they don't, then why are we letting them make decisions about the future of the country? Raise the voting age. I'm all about that. Raise it to 25, 30, 35. Well, not 35 because I'm not 35 yet, but 25, let's say. Um, 
And finally, Rusty Dog says, Matt, you use the phrase, iron out the kinks. Come on, man. It's work out the kinks or iron out the wrinkles. You moved to Tennessee. Now you're mixing your metaphors like some country bumpkin. Cancel yourself. Well, Rusty Dog, first of all, that bigoted accusation, that stereotypical accusation towards me is not acceptable. And I think iron out the kinks is a, in, in fact, I looked it up. And I found a WordPress blog. Someone wrote a a blog on WordPress in 2010 giving the the etymology of iron out the kinks. And they say that iron out the kinks is a perfectly acceptable expression. So says the person who wrote this WordPress blog in 2010. So you are canceled and also banned from the show. Well, I don't know about you. Maybe I'm alone in this. I don't think I am. Maybe I am. I don't enjoy wasting time at the post office. I, I personally don't. And that's why uh, that's why I use Stamps.com. Uh, you can mail and ship online at Stamps.com. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. You can send letters. You can ship packages. You can pay a lot less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. With Stamps.com, you get the service of the post office and UPS all in one place. You don't have to go anywhere. You get it right at your house. Plus, big discounts on mailing and shipping rates as well. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. And this is great uh, if you're you know, a business owner. It's obviously great because all, all the mailing that you do all the time and money and everything that you're wasting, you can get a lot of that back by going to Stamps.com. Uh, but really, for anyone, Stamps.com is the best option. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop-off. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. So you're saving time. It's a, it's one of those no-brainer situations. You're, sh- you're saving time. Uh, you're saving money. Why not? Stamps.com is the way to go. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. And with my promo code Walsh, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage at a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Walsh. That's Stamps.com. Promo code Walsh. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Also, Want to invite you to join us this Wednesday, February 24th, for the um, for this month's backstage. We enter 2021 with our debut into the world of entertainment and have kept the big news coming, most recently announcing our recent movie deal with Gina Carano. You can join us Wednesday as we talk through this and much more. And other news, we've also got a new show coming out this Friday featuring our very own Ben Shapiro. You know, there are so many narratives around hot topic issues, and it's hard to keep track of all the newest controversies that the left decides to be offended by. We already talked about some of those on the show today, which is why you're going to want to tune in to Debunked to see Ben's to see, to see Ben expose leftist fallacies in 15 minutes or less. Climate change, universal health care, COVID policies, uh, all of that. Facts and logic is what he's using. This show will be available exclusively to Daily Wire members. So if you aren't already a member, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use promo code debunked to get 25% off. The reasons to join Daily Wire keep piling up. So use code debunked for 25% off today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Late last week, as we covered on this show, Senator Ted Cruz just talked about came under intense scrutiny and backlash after it was revealed that he had traveled with his family to Cancun during the winter storm disaster in his state. 
This was a huge controversy for reasons that nobody could ever quite explain. Even after he revised his plans and returned home, the outrage had not quite abated. Uh, in fact, the media was tracking Cruz's family, his wife and daughters now, in Cancun. A New York Post headline announced, quote, Ted Cruz's family seen soaking up the Cancun sun while Texas shivers. I have to admit, that's pretty outrageous. You know, Ted Cruz's daughters should be back in Texas working to fix the power grid. Damn lazy kids nowadays. Back in my day, when there was an outage, my parents had me climb up the pole to fix the power lines myself. I had to do it without shoes, too. Uphill both ways. But these are softer and more delicate times, I suppose. Anyway, the PR crisis for Cruz became an opportunity for others, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who shortly after Cancun Gate went viral, uh, announced that she would be traveling to Texas to help out herself. Totally coincidental timing, I'm sure. As the local ABC affiliate in Houston reported, AOC, quote, toured Houston storm damage. Now, why did a representative from New York need to fly down to a city, a different state, 1,600 miles away, to tour the storm damage? Well, the cynical among us might theorize that this was nothing more than a glorified Instagram photo shoot. In fairness, though, she did more than tour the damage. There's also video of her lifting packages of water bottles and uh, putting them in people's trunks, which is also nice. But again, the cynical, those darn cynical people, might say that the workers and volunteers taking care of the mess down in Houston really didn't need a high-profile politician from up north to fly down to help pick up water bottles. I mean, there's no practical advantage to her presence there. She brings media. She brings probably extra security, other logistical concerns that vastly outweigh the benefit of having her there to put water bottles in people's trunks and make concerned facial expressions while looking at the storm damage. I just, I doubt that any emergency worker or charity volunteer has ever been in the middle of a crisis and then stopped to look around and said to themselves, you know what we really need here? You know what we need? We need a famous politician trailed by a line of journalists with cameras. That would make everything run smoother. If AOC really wanted to provide extra manpower, she could have delegated. She could have sent some people down or helped to recruit locals. She did help raise money for the storm relief, which is good. But the part where she shows up in person to lift up water bottles on camera, that's where you might suspect that there's more to this than her passion for charity work. At least a cynical person might think that. Let's be fair, though. She didn't just tour the storm damage or put water bottles in trunks. She also, of course, found a microphone and a podium to give a speech. And here's some of that. You know, we really need to make sure that we're getting food and assistance to people across the state. As was mentioned, here at the, food, at the Houston Food Bank, no questions are asked. So you come up and you need help, you do not have to prove a damn thing. Documentado o indocumentado, puedes tener asistencia y puedes tener ayuda aquí in the Houston Food Bank. If you are documented, undocumented, no matter what your income, no matter your housing status, you can get help here, which is one of the reasons why we are so proud to support the Houston Food Bank, because we don't, because we want to help everybody. You need it, we'll be there. Gee, you know, it, it really looks and sounds like this woman flew down to Texas in the middle of a natural disaster to pose for cameras and deliver a stump speech. I mean, did it's the Houston Food Bank. Do they need a congresswoman from New York to come and speak for them? Are they not capable of doing that themselves? What she just said there, is that, was there no one who actually works at the food bank, bank and no local person that could have gotten on camera and said all that? 
They need to fly her in to say that? It looks like she was taking advantage. It looks and sounds that way because that's exactly what she did. This is, after all, the same person who pretended to cry in front of an empty parking lot near the southern border. Let's not forget. It's the same people, person who um, claimed that Ted Cruz was trying to kill her. Which, by the way, what are you doing going down to Texas? Ted Cruz is there. He didn't leave. You, you said he's trying to kill you. Putting her own, but her, I guess she's more, more courage from this woman, putting her, taking her life into her hands like that. This is also the same woman who claimed that she had a near-death experience in the riots, even though the rioters never came near her or entered the building she was in. She has a history of dramatically exploiting crises for political gain. And if you have any lingering doubts and think that maybe she really went to Texas to perform charity work on camera for entirely benevolent reasons, then consider that communities in her own state, her own city, were devastated over the summer by BLM rioting, and she never showed up to help the victims there, much less give, give speeches advocating for them. She chose Texas for a reason. By the way, she's also been clear that people shouldn't be traveling during the pandemic, number one. And people actually shouldn't be traveling by plane at all because it's destroying the environment and bringing mankind to the brink of extinction. It's, it's actually causing exactly the kinds of weather events that, that devastated Texas, according to her. You think this would be all the more reason to not fly to Texas when there is clearly no practical benefit to her physical presence in the state. But it wasn't about the practical benefit, except in the sense that political benefits are practical. Now, I don't mean to pick on AOC here. She is so transparently opportunistic that it's hard not to pick on her, but it's not like she's the first politician to swoop down into a crisis like this. She wasn't the only politician in the, you know, getting in the way down there in Texas. Even Ted Cruz showed up to carry water bottles around after he got all that guff for trying to leave town. It's a pretty standard political procedure, uh, using a natural disaster as a campaign event. Politicians have been doing that forever, of course, but that doesn't make it any better. Ted Cruz had it right the first time. It's better for these people to just get out of the way than for them to show up for the photo shoot. And that's why AOC is canceled. Am I really canceling her for doing charity work? Yes, I am. Absolutely. Because it's not about the charity at all. And if you don't see that, if you're too dumb to see that, then, well, you're canceled too. And that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Dr. Anthony Fauci says we might be wearing masks into next year. The Biden administration refuses to condemn Andrew Cuomo's cover-up. And Coca-Cola is pushing racist diversity training. That's The Ben Shapiro Show today. Tune in. Tune in.